The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Now, we turn to Galatians chapter 4. Every commentary that you will read on Galatians 4, 21 and following will say something like this. This is the most difficult part of Galatians. Now, hang with me here. It's difficult because we don't understand it. It's not really difficult. So when I read this in a moment, if you hadn't already read it, you're probably going to go, what? I don't get that. Hang with me. We're going to walk through it and we're going to seek to understand it. Now, this is one of those mornings. Okay. I hope this is like this most every Sunday, but this is one of those Sundays where you're going to have to wake up and engage your mind. I don't have commercials every five minutes to give you a break. I'm sorry, but you can think. So let's think and track with this text and what God is saying to us. So let's acknowledge this is the word of God, even though it's difficult. It is God's word. Let's stand. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem. (coughs) Excuse me. For she is in slavery with her children. (coughs) But the Jerusalem above is free. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who do not labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more. More than the one who has a husband. Now, brothers, like Isaac, you are children of promise. But just as that time, he who was born according to flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit. So also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. You can be seated. Now here's the main point. That those who trust in Christ are free and must not return to slavery under the law. Paul starts with a rhetorical question. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law. So here's the decision that the Galatian Christians are making. It's not just that they're going to return to circumcision. They're saying, we're going to keep the whole law. So those of you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? You don't listen to what the law is telling you, what the law is saying about you. And he's building to chapter five, verse one, that Christ has set us free. So in between building to that moment, here's what he's saying. The law cannot set us free. This is what you need to hear the law saying to you. The law is not saying freedom. The law is saying to you bondage. 
So first, he has a historical argument. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman, one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now notice this. He doesn't use anybody's name here. Two sons, one born of a slave woman, one born of a free woman. One born according to the flesh, one born according to the promise. So here's what he's saying. These Judaizers have shown up from Jerusalem. They're Jewish descent people. They're saying, we're the real descendants of Abraham. And you people want to become descendants of Abraham? Keep the law. This is provocative. Here's what Paul's saying. You're sons of Abraham, but you're not descendants of Isaac. Maybe, maybe you are in a bloodline, but spiritually, you're Hagar's son. He's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, hang with me here. The two women, one's a slave woman, one's a free woman. Let's go back to Genesis. Let's put, put, put the story together very briefly. God comes to Abraham, makes a promise to Abraham that his descendants are going to be greater than the stars of the sky. He's an old man and his wife is barren. She's never had children. They believe, he believes this promise, years proceed. Abraham gets to the, where he's about 85 years old. Sarah's about 75 years old. Sarah says, okay, God's given us this promise. Abraham, I've got a plan. Here's what we need to do, Abraham. You take my slave, Hagar, and you take her, have relations with her. Abraham says, maybe that's a good idea. He takes Hagar. She conceives. She bears a son. The son's name is Ishmael. Ishmael grows. He's in his teen years. God again speaks to Abraham, tells him he's going to give him a promise. Abraham actually argues and says, hey, we got Ishmael. That's not the one. I promised you a son. And to a 90-year-old woman who is past child-rearing age, who was never able to have children, God fulfills the promise to Sarah and she supernaturally has a son named Isaac. Sarah's the free woman. Her son is Isaac. Hagar is the slave woman. Her son is Ishmael. Now, verse 23 is key to understanding the entire text. You miss this, you miss it all. The slave was born according to the flesh. That means this, look up here. Ishmael was born as the result of human ingenuity and human action. People took matters into their own hands and said, this is what we need to do. This is the right action. We're gonna get God's outcome through human effort. But the son of the free woman was born through promise. If you look down in verse 29, it says this way. He was born according to the spirit. He was born supernaturally. Now, here's the issue before them. Are you made right with God through your flesh, through what you do? Do you maintain your standing before God through what you do by keeping the law? Or are you made right through God through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross alone? God's ultimate promise. He proceeds. 
It's an allegorical argument now. Now this may be interpreted, he says, allegorically. Now, I gotta explain a few things. Hang with me here. I know some of you hated English class. I taught English for a while. You were in my class. I know what it's like. But if you, you, we gotta get some terms here. First word, typology. We wanna look for typology in the scripture. Now I'm gonna tell you what typology is. It's a historical moment, person, event that happens in the scripture that is pointing us forward to a fulfillment. Example, Isaac is born. God tells him to take him to Mount Moriah and sacrifice him by faith. Abraham takes him. He literally has the knife in the air. He is about to slay Isaac and God provides a ram in the thicket. Now, the ram is a type. The ram is clearly pointing us to the substitute who will die in our place, Jesus Christ. It's obvious. It's clear. John begins this way. Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now that's clear. Typology. Allegory is different. Allegory is when you Take a story and you assign deeper meaning or truth to the story. Pilgrim's Progress is a book written several hundred years ago that is an allegory about the Christian life. Now, this next sentence is crucial. We are not free to allegorize the Bible. We are not free to read the Bible and say, well, this could mean this. If you do that, you will quickly end up with false meanings and wrong interpretations. In fact, one commentator said it this way. If I was allegorizing Hagar and Ishmael, I would have come up with an entirely different meaning than Paul did. So what's the difference here? This is, this is important. The difference here is the Bible is allegorizing itself. It's taking something and assigning deeper meaning so we track with what the Bible's doing. So these women are two covenants. The Bible unfolds in two covenants, the old covenant and the new covenant. So let's first look at the old covenant. One is from Mount Sinai. What did God give the people at Mount Sinai? The law. So one is the law. Bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. So Hagar, now this is not a typology. This is totally an allegory. Hagar, he's relating to the law, to slavery. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. So Arabia is outside of Israel, therefore it's pagan. Now watch this. This is massive what he does next. She, Hagar, who's Mount Sinai in Arabia, she corresponds to present Jerusalem. What? Here's what he's saying. Paul's saying that what is going on in present Judaism at the moment that he writes this is the same as paganism. It's a belief that if you keep the law, you'll earn favor with God. 
that if you think you can earn God's favor, here's what you are. You're a slave. The new covenant. The Jerusalem above, you find this multiple places in scripture. This is the Jerusalem that is coming and has come. It's now and not yet. The Jerusalem coming from above. The scripture says we are born from above. We are born of God. For it is written, rejoice, O barren one, who does not bear, break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now, I mean, I, I can understand if you're like, I have, where'd we go right now? So let me help you. Isaiah 54 comes after Isaiah 53. You say, big deal, preacher. What's in Isaiah 53? Here's what's in Isaiah 53. It's the prophecy of the suffering servant. It is the clearest explanation of the substitute who is Jesus Christ, our Lord, who bears our sin in our place. Following the great prophecy of the suffering servant is this promise. Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. And let's put this in historical context. This is Isaiah the prophet writing to the people of God who are in exile. Jerusalem is in ruins. The people of God are scattered throughout the world. And the prophet says, you who look like life is over, that, that there's not gonna be a people of God, you rejoice, barren one. Because coming from you, from the desolate one, will be more than those who have a husband. In other words, in other words, God's gonna do in the world what he did in Sarah. God's gonna do a miracle. And it's not gonna be based on human beings. It's gonna be the work of God. Quote, the spiritual Jerusalem does not have a certain place. It is dispersed throughout the entire world. It could be in Babylon or Turkey or India or the islands in the middle of the sea. Spiritual Jerusalem is wherever men and women receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's where the desolate woman rejoices. At the end of this service, we're gonna lay hands on him. We're gonna pray over a couple who are going to a desolate spiritual place. And you hear me, only God can make the desolate woman give birth. Only God will give fruit to the work of these two people. There's no other way to explain it but God. Now, what's the application? What he's saying is, Galatia, you were a desolate place and the spirit of God has come here. Now the old covenant's shown up. Now you're gonna have to do something. So brothers, like Isaac, you're children of the promise. 
And just as at the same time he was born according to flesh, persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. You say, I don't know what that means. It means this. When, when Isaac was a little boy, one day Sarah called Ishmael, mocking him and mistreating him, threatening him. And she got with Abraham who didn't want to do it at first and they cast Hagar and Ishmael out of the house. Why? To protect the promise, to protect Isaac. And here's what he's saying. Those of you who are children of the promise, you are always going to be persecuted by the children of the slaves. They, they want you back in slavery. So you be prepared for the persecution. Further, further, he says, what does scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Now here's what he's saying. In the context and life of the local church, we don't tolerate the slave master. We don't let them come in with their false teaching and lead us down a false path. We cast them out. And we cast out their message. And that's what Paul's appealing the Galatians to do. This is deadly and dangerous. Get this out of you. But understand this. They're going to go just outside of you and persecute you. How's Paul know this? Every town he goes to, who rises up against him in the book of Acts? The Gentiles or the Jews? It's the Jews. And they drag him out and stone him because he's a threat to what they've been preaching and teaching. Why do we need to cast out the slave woman? Because we are of the free woman. Or let's say it this way. We are no longer slaves. We are free. Question. How? How did we become free? The answer is Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. This is a conclusion. He's, he's drawn this to this concluding mark and it's a transition. He's gonna now explain the rest of Galatians what it means to live free. Now, I want you to turn over to John chapter eight. While you're doing that, I wanna explain that the two groups of people that are in this room or that are represented in this room. Before we become son of the free woman to follow the allegory before we become children of God we are in one of two forms of slavery and maybe both the first form of slavery is the slavery of sin justification sin justification this is described in Romans chapter 1 this is what a culture without any kind of teaching of the scripture will do. It will adopt whatever it wants to do and demand everybody to give hearty approval to that which they're doing. Because deep down in the core of humanity, we know we're doing wrong. So the way that we get over that gut feeling of doing wrong is we tell each other it's all right. And when we're caught, we justify it. it goes something like this. I'm not as bad as you are. I, I don't murder anybody. Sin justification. That we're justifying what we do and how we do it. The other group are those who have the slavery of 
self-justification. Now this illustration is going to knock some of you off your feet for a second. Just calm down. All right. I have a question. When you say to me that you've always been a Christian, is that a self-justifying comment? Are you saying to me, as long as you can remember, you've trusted in Christ alone for your salvation, or are you saying to me, you've always been a good person because you've been around Christian people your whole life? If you're saying the latter, that you've always been a good person because you've always been around Christian people your whole life, that is a self-justifying statement, and it's slavery. You see, brothers and sisters, it is Christ who makes us free. Galatians chapter three, verse, oh, excuse me, John chapter eight, I'm sorry. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. You know why the son remains in the house forever? The answer, the kids, this is part of one of the kids areas today. Here's the question that, that they'll be asking in growth group with kids today. Who can keep the law? What the answer is, this is kids Sunday school, folks. No one except Jesus. That's why Jesus gets to stay in the house. He has perfectly and completely kept the law. And because he has perfectly and completely kept the law, he became a curse for us. And because he became a curse for us, the son sets us free. And if the son sets us free, you are free indeed. Now, now, here's what's crucial. What am I free from? Or, or, what am I free to do? I'm preaching to Americans. Here's what I think you hear. I think you hear, most of you, I'm free to do whatever I want to do. Is that what it means? If Jesus died for your sin, does that mean now you're free to just sin? Is that what he means? I'm going to use some quotes from Martin Luther. And let me help you with Martin Luther, okay? Martin Luther was a slave to both. He was a slave to sin. He was in misery over his sin. And Luther was in such misery over his sin, he became a monk. And he tried everything, fasting, reading, memorizing, doing penance. He tried all these things to justify himself before God. And the worse he felt, the more deep he became convinced of how rotten and sinful he was. Luther wrote, for Christ has made us free, not civilly, not carnally, but divinely in such that our conscience is free and quiet. We no longer fear the wrath of God to come. This then is our liberty, that we are free 
of the wrath of God forever. For as the wrath of God cannot terrify us, for that Christ has delivered us from that wrath, so then we are delivered from the law and sin and death, and they can no longer condemn us, nor can they accuse us. Now here's the issue in this room. Not only are you Americans who believe that freedom means you can do whatever you want to do, here's the other, other subtle lie whispering in our ears. There is no wrath coming. Loving God wouldn't do that. At the end of the day, we all, we all worship the same God. Friends, you can self-justify yourself and you can sin-justify all day long. But here's what I know about you because I know it about myself. When you lay your head down on that pillow by yourself at night, here's one of the reasons some of you take drugs, is because you don't want to hear that voice that says, you're wrong. And you're gonna face God coming. Here's the message of the gospel to you. When you trust in Christ who became a curse for you, you are free. You are free of worrying about the wrath of God. It has been satisfied on your behalf. Now, Paul brings this to an application. Now, here's, here's what he's doing. Watch this. He's going from an indicative, what is true of you, you're free in Christ, to imperative command. So because this is true of you, there's two commands. Two commands here. Number one, stand firm in Christ. He says, stand firm, therefore, 1 Corinthians 15, 1. I want you to look there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Here's an interesting study this week. I just studied in the New Testament everywhere it said stand or stand firm. It's everywhere. Now, I remind you, brothers, of the what? Gospel. Brothers. So he's talking to who? I remind you. Brothers, he's talking to who? Christians. Here, here's a problem, some of you. You think you've moved on from the gospel. That's your problem. I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. I preached to you which you received, in which you, what? Stand. Not on which you stand, that's true too, but in which you stand. What does that mean? That means I am in Christ and Christ is in me. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is, all other ground is sinking sand. Now I've never been in quicksand, but one time I was fishing in a boat in a, in a farm pond and I fell out. Actually one time I was fishing with Kim Lindsay and he fell out too, but that's another story. And it's a better story, but I won't use it. So when I fell out, 
when I stood up, I immediately marred up to my knees. At a minimum, my shoes. But I, I, I mean, the suction at that moment, I understand why people drown in farm ponds now when it's just barely over their head. Because your feet go down in that mud and you can't get out. I had to leave my shoes in the pond. Here's the point. It, it, it's not just brothers and sisters that when you step off the gospel into sin or you step off the gospel into some self-justifying keeping of the law, that soon as you step away from the gospel, you're sinking. And immediately, here's what the sinking does. The sinking enslaves you. It traps you. So how do I keep from being enslaved? I stand firm in the gospel. I never leave the gospel, ever, daily, regularly. So, so, so those of you who come to Parkwood, you think we're just trying to get everybody saved every Sunday. We want the lost to be saved. If you don't know Christ, we, we pray and plead you or repent of your sin. But the reason we are so clear with the gospel every Sunday in our singing and our preaching is so that you brothers and sisters will stand firm. That you won't move over to the sinking sand and sink and be enslaved. So stand firm in Christ. Number two, do not return to slavery. He says, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. It is ridiculous, as a quote, it is ridiculous to imagine that Christ would have opened for us a gate of our prison at such a cost merely to transfer us to another prison. Romans chapter six, this is the growth group lesson, which should give fruitful discussion among brothers and sisters this week. What then are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? <laughs> By no means, he says. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God, that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. Now I'm setting this up for where we're going in the rest of Galatians. I want you to see one phrase here. You have become obedient from the heart. Here's what happens to you when Jesus saves you. He doesn't give you a new list. Here's what he does. He gives you a new heart. Let me say it this way. He gives you a new wanter. Your desires change. Your desire changes from sin and the desire to please yourself to the, your desire is to honor Christ and to magnify Christ. It's a work of the Spirit. It results in the fruit of the Spirit. It's evident. So brothers and sisters, don't submit again to the yoke of slavery. Don't become slaves again. 
I'm indebted to Martin Lloyd-Jones for this closing illustration. Imagine it's 1870 in the southern part of the United States. And you're a black man or woman. Something incredible happened for you just a few years ago. The Emancipation Proclamation was handed down. The Civil War was ended. Slavery was abolished. You're now free. But you leave your tiny little farm that you were given and you make your way into town. And there's your old slave master. And he begins to talk to you just like he talked to you before. And he begins to command and to tell you what to do. In fact, it's kind of permeated in throughout the South that everybody thinks they own the black man. And they can say to him what they want to say. Treat him how he wants to be treated. What do you do? Let's ratchet ahead a hundred years. Thank God that a man named Martin Luther King had enough courage with other black men and women to stand up and say, we're human beings. We are human beings. We are not your slaves. Treat us as human beings. So brothers and sisters, as you've watched, it's an ongoing battle for minorities in our culture. It's an ongoing battle. But thanks be to God for what has transpired in my lifetime. Here's my point to you. You're not slaves. The tyrant will not die easy. He will try to beat you into submission. He will plead for you to come back. He'll tell you what to do. Don't you submit. You stand firm. And you tell him and you tell yourself. I am not a slave. Christ has set me free and I am free indeed. Let's pray. Oh God, I plead, I plead, I plead for the man or woman the young person who is in the bondage of sin and the bondage of self-justification in this room, believing that they can save themselves or believing that everything's okay, they don't need salvation. When we look to the cross and we see the incredible price that you paid on our behalf in our place, that we cannot duplicate it, that we cannot improve on it. You, Christ alone, have died for us. So I pray that we all will come by faith Trusting and believing in you alone for our salvation. Trusting and believing in you alone to, for the work of sanctification to make us more like Christ in our everyday lives. So Lord, I pray that this would be a song of faith, a song of declaration, a song of testimony that we would declare who we are in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. 
That's parkwoodonline.org.